This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Well, take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to primarily be in Matthew 24 and 25. We will go over the first Thessalonians. Uh, if you have an outline, I encourage you to take it uh, with you. Uh, take it out. Get ready to take some notes. My online family, you can download your notes. Follow us right there on the screen. We've been in a sermon series called Fearless, Standing Firm to the End. We've been looking at end time events. We've been talking about events of the end time and looking how do we live fear, uh, just uh, fearless, fear, you know, not fearful, but fearless, standing firm to the very end. And I've titled today's message, Living Faithfully, Living Fearlessly. Father, I pray that as we open your anointed word today, speak to our heart. Speak to our lives. Speak to each and every one of us. Let your word be illuminated. And Father, I pray that we'll have the will to do, to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Touch us, I pray, in your name. God's people said, amen and amen and amen. In review today, today will be primarily a a lot of scripture that I want to share with you. And I want to just anchor in what we've been talking about, bring a little bit of clarification, but most of all, just link it all together in review. We've been piecing it out, and today I want to bring it together. Today, in review, we were talking about, each and every week, some cultural signs. There are cultural signs of the end times, things that are going to happen. In fact, we can already see it happening around us. The first cultural sign that we've been talking about is that in the end times, a cultural sign is that there is going to be an apostasy that takes place. There is going to be this falling away. There's going to be a coldness that takes place and and, uh, overcomes uh, uh, humanity at the end of the age. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 24. He says, at that time, many will turn away. Another word or another way that's phrased is many will fall away. They will abandon their faith. They will turn away from the faith and they will betray and he, uh, uh, excuse me, hate each other. Now, what do we mean by betray and hate one another is at the end of the times in Revelation, we see that they'll be turning one another in and forming, uh, you know, governmental authorities on one another. I mean, brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, friend against friend. Why is that going to happen is there will be such a drive for survival in the end of the age. The selfishness to the self-preserve will drive them into a survival mode. And if someone hasn't taken the mark of the beast, if they're not aligning with the one world government or the Antichrist, then there will be those that will be turning them in. Paul says it this way to young Timothy. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their desires. 
because of their own passions, what, what, what they desire, what they want, their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, I really don't think that it's going to be just someone standing on a stage or behind a pulpit or in a classroom. When we're talking about this, I think what I'm seeing today, and it may change if the Lord tarries even more, is it's going to be through social media. It's going to be through media platforms. It's going to be through our, our, our feeds that we get, that there's going to be doctrines, and there's going to be uh, teachings, and there's going to be philosophies, and there's going to be things that people will gravitate to because they're desiring, their passions are, are pushing them and desiring that. Now, you got to know that there is a difference between apathy and ignorance of the Word of God. Scripture shows us that somebody that's apathetic has lost interest. They're not concerned. It's not driving them. There's not a motivation any longer. They're falling away. Their heart is growing cold. Where ignorance of Scripture shows that someone lacks the knowledge they don't have the understanding. They don't know. And therefore, we are the witness. We share, we proclaim, and we preach. Can I get an agreement in the house? In fact, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Hebrews says, let us think, and I love this, of what ways to motivate one, one another. Let us think of ways that we can inspire one another, that we can uh, uh, motivate and encourage one another in what? In acts of love and good works. That we should encourage one another to keep pressing forward in their acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Now we know today... We know that with uh, this age uh, that we are in, especially coming through the pandemic, we live in a digital world. Services are broadcast. Many are joining me online even right now. And we must be careful that even in our digital age that we don't neglect joining together. Now, that may not be in a worship service. It may be in a small group. It may be in a Bible study group. It might be in, in some kind of class that's studying the Word of God. But we must be connected to one another. The danger of this age, the danger of the digital reality and the virtual reality that we're living in is that we get isolated, solo, independent. We walk a road all to ourselves, and it's between me and God and nobody else. And Scripture would say, no, we've got to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. If you're in a digital, virtual reality of, of, of worshiping God, then you've got to be even more intentional to be connected with other people. Can I just get an agreement? Now, you're in the house, so you understand what I'm talking about, but it takes discipline. And boy, let me tell you, in a virtual, in a virtual space, it's even very, very hard to worship God. I can hear the word and the preaching, but the worship, to sing songs, to be praying with that worship service that's going on, it's very, very hard. I find myself being a spectator and not a participant when I'm in a virtual uh, uh, moment where I'm receiving it in a digital way. And he reminds 
the writer of Hebrews reminds the, the church there that they must not neglect meeting together. Some people are doing that, but encourage one another especially. Why? Especially now because the day of the Lord's return is drawing near. So he says, get ready, be ready, encourage one another, inspire one another. Why? Because of the cultural sign of apathy. Another cultural sign that we've been looking at is that there will be an increase of personal evil. Evil will increase in the end of the age. And we're already seeing a sign of that now, are we not? We're seeing evil increasing, wickedness increasing all around us. Paul is talking to young Timothy. Paul uh, is speaking to his, his young protege, pastoring a church, and he's speaking to him. Paul is an apostle. He's training, leading, guiding young Timothy. And he says this to young Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, this is such a powerful, powerful verse. He says to Timothy, mark this, know this. He's saying this is a picture of the future society. There's going to be godless marks and signs. And boy, we're already seeing them now. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. Goes on to say, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power, the power of God, have nothing to do with them. Them is maybe the, the individuals, but most of all, all of these items that he begins to mention. You see, what he's talking about is that in the end times, there's going to be an increase of personal evil. And he starts listing all these things. Man, it's a power-packed power pack scripture. He says there's going to be an increase of selfishness. There's going to be an increase of, of being self-centered, where individuals are focusing on themselves, they're pursuing their pleasures, that there are more lovers of self than they are anything else in their life, especially that of God. He says they're going to be coveted. They're going to covet and, and be lovers of money and possessions, a desire for more and more better and, and bigger things. They're never satisfied with what they have. Their eyes and their, their hearts are, are focused on the things of this world instead of the things of God. Materialism will drive. Now, we're already starting to see that. I mean, is it a cultural sign already that's around? Yes, it is. It's, it's everywhere around us. He says there's going to be pride, conceit, self-exaltation, arrogance, looking down on others. They're going to be blasphemous. Not only blasphemy God, rejecting God, turning away from God, but, but they're, going to be, uh, uh, con they're, they're going to be insulting and, 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 and giving insults, not only disrespecting God, but disrespecting one another. No respect for one another. People in authority, no respect. They're, they're going to be rejecting God and man. Aren't you glad, parents, that he included disobedient to parents? 
I mean, he threw that one in there. And what is that? Rebellious, rejecting, dishonoring, ungrateful, unthankful, he says. They're going to lack in the end days, lack gratitude. They're, they're, they're gonna be an, there's going to be an attitude, I earn it. You owe it to me. Society owes it to me. This, this entitlement, and we already see that, they're going to be unholy. Unholy here is a, the word is that there's just, there, there, it's, it, 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 there is this within them, this shameless uh, lifestyle. Man, there's, there, there's, there's a passion that drives them and it's the passion of their flesh. They're desiring to gratify their flesh and that will drive them and they will be unholy. And worst of all, I think, is that he says there is a form of godliness. You know what that is, is that's religion, by the way. When we talk it, when we know it, when there's the rules and the regulations and, and, and we understand what we should be and what we should do, but it's a form, it's a facade on the outside. Jesus says you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of what? Dead man's bones. It's death within. There's no life. There's no anointing. We're pursuing a feel-good gospel. Man, he really lays it out to Timothy, and he reminds us that there will be an increase of evil in the last days. And then thirdly, a cultural sign that we've been looking at is that many will be deceived. Many will be blinded and deception will overcome the hearts of many. Over in Matthew 24, it's going to be our main passage that we're going to study for the next few minutes. Jesus says this in verse 11. Many false prophets, there'll be false philosophies, many opinions, many prophets will appear and they will deceive many. Why? Because of the increase of evil, wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. And we've been looking at that over the last several weeks. I've been mentioning week after week that there will be an event that will take place in the end times. It's called the rapture. Most of the, rep, uh, uh, most of the references concerning the rapture are actually outside of the book of Revelation and they're in different books of the Bible. The question is, what is the rapture? Well, if I could define it as simply as I could, the rapture is a time where believers, those that are Christ followers, will be caught up. The word actually is they will be snatched away. They will, what is the rapture? It's a time where believers are taken out of this world. They're snatched away and they will be united with Christ. Unbelievers, on the other hand, will be left behind. They will not uh, uh, be caught up to meet Christ, but they will be left behind to face God's wrath, and they will uh, begin to walk through God's judgment on sin. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some different, uh, if it would be, uh, uh, theological opinions or uh, theological views of when the rapture will take place. There's what's called the pre-tribulation view that the rapture will happen. You and I as believers will be taken away before the seven-year tribulation period, that we will be raptured before the tribulation. That's called the pre-trib, pre-tribulation view. That's the Assemblies of God's official stance that the church 
will be raptured before the tribulation. The second view, though, and by the way, all of these that I'm going to mention do have scriptural support. And you could see that the rapture could happen within that view. The second view is a mid-tribulation view. That the tribulation begins in about the halfway mark, the church will be raptured. A third view is what's called post-tribulation. The church will walk through the seven years of tribulation. And as Christ comes in the battle of Armageddon, the church will be raptured at that time. A fourth view is what's called the pre-wrath tribulation view. That means that somewhere about the, the, the two-third of the way through the tribulation, before the wrath of God gets poured out, the church will be raptured. All of these views have some scriptural evidence to it. And therefore, we're walking through this saying, okay, God, we want a good theology but yet we must stay ready for the return of the Lord. Let me show you what Paul says about this. Turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, this is a, another book of the Bible. You, if you're in your uh, paper Bible, keep your finger over in Matthew 24. We're going to go back there. But 1 Thessalonians, Paul deals a lot with the church in Thessalonica about the end times. And the reason he wrote this is because there was some teaching and doctrines that were going around that if you were a believer, a Christ follower, and you passed away before the coming of the Lord, you would not be with Christ in eternity. So Paul wants to correct this bad teaching, and he writes 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, to the church in Thessalonica, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 13, brothers, Christ followers, the church, he's saying, we do not want you to be ignorant, we don't want you to lack knowledge about those who fall asleep, those who have passed away, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now he's going to begin to make his claims. He says to the church, we believe, church, don't forget what you believe. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And we also believe that God will bring with him, Jesus will bring with Jesus, those who, and he continues on, have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now remember, what is he doing? He's correcting the bad teaching, so he's letting them know, listen, if you die in Christ, you're a Christ follower, you too will be resurrected when Christ comes. Because after the dead in Christ are first resurrected, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Now, by the way, there 
in the scripture, the word rapture is not even found. It's a church term that we use, but it's a concept that's built throughout scripture. And that is that we are caught up. We're snatched away. We're caught up together with Christ and we uh, will be in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, anytime therefore is there, by the way, there's reasons. He's saying, I'm making a point because of what I just taught you. And what I just taught you about Christ coming, dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are alive in Christ will meet together in the air to be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Inspire one another. Teach about it. Keep your eyes on the return of the Lord. What he's saying is, this is an event that we need to be aware of. I can imagine what's going to happen. Rapture's going to happen. Let's say that, let's just say that it happens before the tribulation. It happens before the tribulation period. Those of us that are Christ followers, we're in Christ, we're following the Lord, we are raptured, and all of a sudden, the world is going to be in chaos. The Bible says two will be working, one will be gone. Two will be sleeping in the same bed, the Bible says, one will be gone. There might be individuals living in the same household, roommates in the same room, classmates. They'll be there and one will be gone. Why? Is one is accepted, one has surrendered their life to Christ, and one has not. One has not received Christ. And by the way, knowledge of God is not salvation. We must accept God, repent of our sin, reject our life of sin, and turn to God. That is salvation. And when we do that, the Bible says we are in Christ. Can I just hear an amen in the house? Well, the rapture's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of chaos, you know. There's going to be talk uh, shows that, you know, uh, that, that are debating the hypothesis of what has happened. Now, I'm not going to start naming talk show hosts because I don't know where they're at with the Lord. And they might be raptured and there might be a fill-in for them. I don't know. But all I know is there's going to be a lot of, lot of talk of what's happened. Nightly News is going to run several weeks of special programming investigating what possibly could have happened. Was it a UFO abduction? Was there some kind of time warp? Was it a, a weapon of mass destruction? You know, they're going to have all of these spiritual explanations. New age groups are going to call it a, a cleansing. Something has, has, has taken place. But there are going to be some. They miss the rapture. In fact, I was thinking, I need to write a book. If you miss the rapture, if you miss the rapture, it's not for you, but you're going to leave it for somebody that may need it if they miss the rapture. That would be a good book, right? I, I, I need to do it. If you miss the rapture, this is what you do. There are going to be some that when the rapture happens, they're going to remember. Because they heard the sermon. They grew up in a Christian home. They grew up maybe around Sunday school. They grew up hearing about it but they never yielded and surrendered their life to Christ. And the problem is knowing will not save you. You must surrender and commit your life to Christ. There are people listening to me today, before we close this service, you need to surrender your life to Christ. Because in the back of their mind, they're gonna remember they're going to remember that preacher. They're going to remember that Sunday school teacher. They're going to remember their mama, their daddy, their grandma, their grandpa. They're going to remember that there was a teaching that talked about something called the rapture. 
And the reality is they were not ready. They missed the coming of the Lord. And now the tribulation period will begin. There's a doctrine called the doctrine of emissy. This doctrine tells us that the rapture could happen suddenly at any moment, like, like the speed of light in a nanosecond, the Lord could call believers unto himself to share glory, and it happens just like that. Now, we're ready for that, amen? When you're in Christ, you're a Christ follower, you've asked God to forgive you of your sin, you're walking in obedience to God, you're ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, by the way, the doctrine of emissy really does line itself up with a pre-tribulation view of the coming of the Lord. Because for some, if the rapture doesn't happen until the tribulation is taking place, then I begin to recognize that there's a one world order coming, there's one world leader coming, and, and all of a sudden I begin to recognize these signs, then I could get my life ready as I'm in the tribulation. So the doctrine of emissy really says the Lord could come at any time, and therefore I've got to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, Paul was writing to another church, to the church of Thessalonica, and he says this, same church, but over in chapter 5, uh, he says, Brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you because you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. By the way, I love that Paul says this. I don't need to tell you, but I'm going to tell you again. For preachers, that's just a little encouragement right there. You know it, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to remind it. You think I'm repeating it, but somebody hasn't heard it. You need to be reminded of it. And Paul says, I don't need to write you, but I'm going to tell you, you know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Peace and safety, destruction, and all of that. People are saying peace and safety, but destruction will come on them suddenly like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. No escape of what? The coming of the Lord. It's coming. He's coming. The Lord's coming. It will happen. And what Paul is saying to the church of Thessalonica is, we don't know when the Lord will return. We can't put a date to it. We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us specific information or, or specific uh, uh, data to try to figure it out. Now, many of you like me, maybe have been serving the Lord for many years, and I've watched people put books out. They try to figure it out. They've got all this mystical stuff and, and all these numbers from the Bible, and they've got all these things of history, and they've got it figured out. And they've got a book that's going to come out probably. 20, you know, 2,025 reasons that Jesus is coming back in 2025. I mean, and, and they're going to be trying to tell you that they know that the Lord's coming back. I remember in Bible school. I was in Bible school back in the 80s, uh, and it was, uh, I think, 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1988, right? And then when Jesus didn't come in 88, the guy put out another book in the next year. Uh, you know, one reason I didn't discover in 88 that now he's going to come in 89. And those books now, you know, they're, 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 they've been burned in fire. Why? Because we know that he hasn't come yet. And Scripture tells us that we don't know. But he could come at any moment, like a thief in the night or, or, or like, a, like a, a mother, he says, that, that goes into labor pains. You know it's coming. 
You just don't quite know when it's going to happen. Any moms in the, in the room, you know what, what I'm talking about. You know, it's coming, but you just don't quite know when. I remember when Candy and I were having our first son, we woke up in the morning, and Candy says, it's time. I said, time for what? <laughs> it's time to go to the hospital. And I said, no, we can't. <laughs> what do you mean we can't? I got to go to work today. I got a lot of stuff I got to do, you know. I mean, I didn't have my priorities straight, right? No, we're going to the hospital. I can't wait any longer. And off we went, right? And, and, uh, and, and, and you know it's coming, but you don't quite know the exact moment. Well, that's what Jesus is saying is he is coming. He could come at any moment. Paul was saying it to this church. Jesus has said it. And nothing is preventing the Lord to return today or tomorrow. He's going to come in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and therefore we must be prepared. Turn to your neighbor and say, be prepared. Because he could come at any moment. He says it like this to the church of Corinth. Paul's the same writer. Paul's writing still. He's speaking to a different church. The church is in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, it will happen in a what? In fact, will you read this with me? Read it aloud. It will. Those who died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed at any moment. The second thing I want you to know about the rapture is the rapture is for you, believers. The rapture, the purpose of the rapture is to deliver you as believers, to redeem you as Christ followers, and, and to take you, to snatch you, to rapture you, so that you will not face the outpouring of God's wrath. It's for you. Jesus reminds us in John 14 that he has gone to prepare a place that he will come and he will take us to be with him where he is. And therefore, the rapture is for us so that we don't have to face the wrath of God's judgment. God's wrath against sin must take place. And somewhere in the tribulation, especially towards the end of the tribulation, the wrath of God will be poured out on the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all who have taken the mark of the beast and have rejected God and aligned their loyalties with the Antichrist, the wrath of God will fall on them. Now go back with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24 I want to spend most of our remaining moments right here. And I know our time is slipping away, but uh, I want to wrap up this last thought. Are you with me? You sure? All right, nudge someone. Say, stay with him. Stay with him. Matthew 24, verse 3. I want to give you a lot of scripture for a moment, but I'm going to just read it. I want to, I want to get it in your heart because he really helps us to understand the purpose of the rapture. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, and they said privately, he had just been teaching, and he said, tell us, the disciples, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered, first of all, watch out that no one deceives you. Be knowledgeable, be prepared so that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name, 
claiming I am Christ. False teachings will arise and, and many will be deceived. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There'll be worldwide violence. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Great sorrow, intolerable anguish will come. Down in verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted. Now some people start reading that and all of a sudden it starts lining up with the book of Revelation. So all of a sudden you start reading it and now you start questioning the tribulation views and looking at it. There will be some handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Why? They didn't take the mark of the beast. They didn't uh, align in loyalty to the Antichrist and the one world government. And therefore, they will be put to death. And you will be hated by nations. Why? Because you're a Christ follower. Because your loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate one another. Why will they turn away? Is because of the, of, of, of the anguish that will come and the difficulty of that time. You see, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy and sell. Everything will become a system underneath. We as believers better get unified because we're going to need each other at the end of the day. We're going to need one another to survive. And so... People will hate and betray one another, turning one another in. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, we read it earlier, the love of most will grow cold. But he, here's where we got our sermon title, who stands firm to the end will be saved. Say it with me. We'll be saved if we stand to the end. We're going to live fearless to the very end. Now, some ask, is this what the church is going through? Has this been all of the, 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 the pain and the sorrow and the tribulation for all of the centuries? Or is this what the Jews went through? Or is it the beginning of, of the tribulation? What are these birth pains? Well, we don't know exactly but all I can say is that during the tribulation, the Antichrist will pour out his wrath on followers of Christ. Now, the followers of Christ, are they because the church has not been raptured? Or is it all of those who weren't ready for the rapture and then they remembered about the rapture or they found my book, What to Do If the Rapture Takes Place, and they give their life to Christ. What do they do? They give their life to Christ and now they're believers during the rapture. We are the, the tribulation. We don't really know exactly why the saints are there. Has we, the church, not been raptured yet? Or did they give their life to the Lord during the tribulation? All I know is I got to be ready. Amen? Because if the rapture is going to happen, I want to go up in the air. I want to be caught away. I want to be taken out. Amen? Whenever it's going to happen, I want to be ready. Go down to verse 21. Down to verse 21 there, Matthew 24. For then 
there will be great distress, the tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. In those days, the days of the tribulation, in those days had, uh, excuse me, if those days had not been cut short, he's going to limit it. The wrath of God will be limited to a, to a period of time. Why? Because no one would survive and he's going to limit it for the sake of the elect who now, who have given, they're living for God, their, their lives have been given to the Lord, but for the sake of the elect, those days have been shortened. He goes on, go down to verse 29, goes on, immediately, immediately after the distress, immediately after the tribulation period, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its light. The, star, the stars will fall from the sky and, and, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sun, uh, at that time, the sign of the Son of God will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. We're talking about the second coming of Christ with power and great authority and great glory. He's coming to defeat the Antichrist and all those who have taken the mark. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Man, that's powerful, amen? He's showing us that there will be a rapture. Now because there's gonna be a rapture, Jesus says it like this in Luke, Luke chapter 24, uh, actually, actually uh, 21, I, I think I didn't put it on the screen. Look here, Luke 21, it's in your outline, verse 36, be always on watch, be on watch and pray that you will be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you will be able to stand before the Son of Man. What he's saying is stay alert. Be awake, don't go to sleep, be on guard, be watchful. The warning that Jesus is giving is basically be prepared. Can I hear an amen? That we've got to be prepared. Now in conclusion, worship team, go ahead, get started there for me. In conclusion, over the last number of weeks, what we've been doing is we've been giving you practical tools, things that, that that would help you to live a life prepared for the coming of the Lord. We've been sharing with you how to live prepared. In week one, we said you gotta be fearless in your hope. Fearless in, in your hope, standing strong, hoping and waiting. Secondly, he says, we said in week one, be fearless in trial. No matter what you go through, no matter what trials come on you, be fearless in trial. Don't give up, don't abandon, don't throw in the towel, don't quit. During times of trial and distress, stand firm. We said in week one, be fearless in your, your what? In your witness. Be fearless as messengers of hope. Be fearless to be the light in the midst of darkness. In week two, we took you to a few more points. We said in week two, that if you're gonna be prepared for the coming of the Lord, you've got to apply yourself to the Word of God. To apply yourself to God's Word, to, to know 
the word, to study the word, to put a value on the word of God. I shared with you a method, a Bible study called SOAP, S-O-A-P. We challenged you to get into small Bible study groups, like our men's Bible study that happens on Wednesday night. You want to be a part of that, just text brotherhood to the, to the number, and, and, and that number will guide you. You can get into the men's Bible study, to the women's Bible study, to Bible classes where you're studying God's Word. Put a value on it. When you come to moments like this, when we're, we're hearing the preaching of the Word of God, put a value on it. Get ready to receive it. Take notes, circle, underline. Allow the Word of God to penetrate into your heart. If I do my job well, and man, I try, I work hard. If I do my job well, I can take the ancient text, what God has said through the written Word, and I can build a bridge of application into your life today. If I build the bridge accurately, if I take the word and I help you to apply it to your life today, what happens is you get wills to your faith. You can walk your faith, live your faith, have power to your faith because the word of God, when applied to your life, brings inspiration, it's prophetic, it's rhema word to your life and your situation. Value the preaching of the word of God. I've been a believer for many, many, many years. And can I tell you, preaching with Bible study, preaching with Bible study, Bible study in a small group, Bible study in classes, maybe my personal Bible study, preaching with Bible study is what's grown my faith. You cannot grow your faith if you don't value the Word of God. If you don't study the Word of God, you will not be able to grow your faith. So if you're going to live prepared, standing firm to the end, living fearless, fearlessly standing strong, you're going to have to value the Word of God. We said to you in that week, don't be deceived. We took a lot of time to understand that deception. And primarily it comes to not knowing the truth. If you don't know the truth, if you don't understand what's right, what's wrong, if you don't have a guidebook that guides your life, you will be deceived. We said also, you gotta be watchful and prayerful, watching, watching the signs, seeing what's happening, and be prayerful. Staying alert and praying, asking God to give you discernment, asking God to guide you. Be discerning. Last week, we said set your mind a little bit different on just knowing the word, but set your mind not only on God, but on his promises. The promises of God are guardrails for our life. The promises of God enable us to take the word and stand on the word and agree with God what he says through the word. In times of prayer and fasting, I'm aligning myself with the promises of God. Why do I love nights ablaze? Why do we continuously have nights ablaze? Because I've got to push myself. I've got to push myself. I do it for me, and I want you to join me. I push myself to align to the promises of God, to hear the prophetic of God, to encourage my faith, to strengthen my faith. It will keep you prepared. We also said last week, hold Hold on to your faith. 
and persevere. Trials will come. Difficulties will come. Sickness and and hardships will come. But keep on going. Turn to your neighbor. Keep going. Keep holding on. Keep enduring. Keep persevering. Keep pressing. Don't give up. Because we, we, when we persevere, we'll know that by standing firm to the very end, that we will be caught up together with him in the air. I said to you last week, rely on the Holy Spirit. When you abide in Christ, when you learn to soak in God, in worship, in prayer, you soak. You, you take in the presence of God. You allow God to just to begin to, to reveal, to give you revelation. You, you learn to love Him. You know God loves you, but you learn to love Him in return. That's abiding, is loving God. Spending time bu- building your intimacy and your relationship with God. You're abiding in Christ, and then you're relying on the Holy Spirit. You see... If you'll learn to rely on the Holy Spirit, if you'll learn to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit, if you'll learn to rely on the Holy Spirit, you will gain the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, anytime I try to make a major decision without relying on the Holy Spirit, it's usually a bad decision. I stumble along the way. I I make a decision by what I think, what what I feel. I make a decision by my experience or maybe by advice and opinions from others. You know, all of us, we find ourselves seeking others' opinions, other authorities' opinions on decisions that we're making. And that's good, but don't leave the Holy Spirit out. Learn to develop discernment. Discernment is saying, Holy Spirit... Give me a peace. Holy Spirit, show me what I do not see. Holy Spirit, if this is a door that I should go through, then Father, continue to direct my paths and give me peace as I walk through that that door. But if it's not, then Holy Spirit, close the door. For so many of us, sometimes we make decisions, major decisions, without relying on the Holy Spirit. Decisions about our career, Decisions about who will marry, decisions about uh, uh, job changes, decisions about moves that we're going to make. I could go down and down and down, decisions to purchase this or to do that. We make these major decisions without relying on the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be prepared to the very end, man, your spiritual sensitivity is going to have to increase like spiritual antennas going up, that you begin to know the will of God, the ways of God through the Spirit of God. And we said last week, keep your life free of compromise. Don't begin to rationalize. Don't allow sin to begin to to work its way into your life and you rationalize it and you justify it and you end up compromising. Because the moment you begin to compromise, The scripture says a little leaven in the bread ruins the whole thing. All of a sudden when you compromise, you find yourself making decisions that are outside of the will of God, outside of the ways of God, outside of the authority of God's word. 
That's why Paul would say daily, daily wash your garments. Daily examine your heart. Daily evaluate your life. Don't point your finger at others. Don't look at the little speck maybe, Jesus would say, in their life. No, daily evaluate your own life. Now, if you're staying prayerful and watchful, if you're learning to discern the Spirit and staying in the Word, that's easy. But the reality is, I can't wait till Sunday to begin to evaluate my life. No, daily. I'm looking in, and when I do it, I'm assured that I'm in Christ. Let me finish with two. Two that I have not given you in the weeks before. Write them down. Two new ones, 12 steps to being prepared. That sounds like a part of a book. I think a book's coming here. 12 steps in how to be prepared. Number 11. I haven't given it to you. We've been talking about it today. And that is in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Paul says to the church of Thessalonian, we were writing at Thessalonica. He says, encourage one another and build each other up. How do you stay prepared? You encourage one another. You build each other up. It's a part of our closing prayer every week. Why? It's how we stay prepared. When we encourage one another and inspire one another and we give affirmation to one another, it's powerful and it spurs us on and encourages us all. We build up. We don't tear down. We encourage and we don't discourage. Encourage one another. Ken Blanchard in his book, The One Minute Manager, says that you find people, catch people doing something right and doing something good, and then you tell them about it. You commend them. You encourage them. You, you affirm them. Why? It's because very few people have somebody cheering them on, and most people don't even cheer themselves on. But if you can encourage, if you can inspire, especially those that are in the faith, church, we got to quit being divided and we've got to be united because in our unity is an anointing. Now, can I give you an encouragement from Ken Blanchard's book is it's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. It's, it's got to be sincere. It can't be manipulative. For all of the bosses and employers in the room, let me tell you, they can smell manipulation. They can smell it. We can smell it, right? It's not phony. It's real. Let it be sincere, genuine, and real. Secondly, make it regular. Do it often. Guys, it's not just on our anniversary that we say those good things. It's not just on our birthdays that we write those good things. Are you still with me today? Because this is the end of the second service, and you're awful quiet, and I'm awful tired. (laughs) No, we do it regularly. Regularly, we point it out. Regularly, we, we, we inspire and we encourage. Not just once a year, every now and then. No, we do it regularly. For the bosses in the room, the, the, the employers and managers in the room, do it regularly with those that work with you. And thirdly, Ken Blanchard says, make it recognizable. Make it specific. Maybe there's something that's been done. Maybe it's a meal that's been cooked. Maybe there's something special that's happened. Point out the specifics of why you're encouraging them. We all need to be built up. We all need encouragement. Let's say it together. We build up. 
and we don't tear down. We encourage and we don't discourage. The last and final point, point number 12, is focus your energy on what will last. You got to know your purpose. I guess it's because uh, I hit a certain age, and you know how all of this media stuff works, but I hit a certain age, and now I start getting all these advertisements about how to live old. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not old, you know. And I, my son would say, no, you're old, you know. And I, but I get all these advertisements now about the end of life and all of that. And you know what's interesting is they're talking about purpose. See, the reality is, you're going to be prepared, your focus, your energy, your purpose has got to be on what will last. That's eternity. What goes beyond this world, this life that we live? Can I tell you, this world, this life is not your home. Your home is in eternity. Your home is in heaven. And that's got to be your focus. And that's got to be your attention. This is what Paul says in Colossians Chapter uh, 3 in verse 2, let heaven fill your thoughts. Let heaven fill all of your, your, your thoughts, your, your affirmation. Don't spend your time worrying about the things down here. Let heaven be your focus. Let your energy be on eternity. Let your purpose move you and, and, and push you. Decisions that you make. Make them based on where you will spend eternity. Now, I'm honest. Some are making decisions on what they want here on this life. But this is not your home. Heaven is your home. Paul says this over in Philippians to the church of Philippi. I run towards the goal. Turn to your neighbor and say, run towards the goal. I run towards the goal. What's the goal? God's purpose what's the goal eternity what's the goal to be with him for all of eternity I run towards the goal so that I can win the prize it's the idea of an Olympic sprinter that's in his race and he's running he sees the finish line and he's focused on it he's got intentionality and he's running towards the finish line why is because we've been called for eternity this is the prize that God offers because of what Christ Jesus has done. That will keep you prepared when you keep your eyes on eternity. Lord, I thank you for your word today. It's powerful. It's, 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 it's effective. It's, it's an encouragement. And today we receive it. Father, today I pray that as we apply it to our life and to our heart, I pray, God, that it will be the very thing that we need to keep us prepared, waiting and watching and ready for the return of the Lord. Fearlessly living, faithfully living, that God, we're standing firm to the very end. That's our determination. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. 
Now go and be messengers of hope.